Matt Schaff and Jared Smoll of DraftSharks.com to run you through a preview of week five for fantasy football. Jared, we might have Jonathan Taylor, Cooper Cup as the biggest stories of the week. Not really going to be talking about them on this show today because like the rest of you watching, listening, we don't know a whole lot. We're waiting to find out more. We know that it's possible each of those guys will play, but there's plenty that we're looking to learn. So make sure to check Shark Bites this week. Make sure to check the rankings for updates as we know more about those and all the situations throughout the league. We are going to be focusing on some other guys that we know are playing, but that might not be doing what we're expecting them to do so far. And that certainly applies to Joe Burrow. Jared, it's not a question this week of whether you can bench Joe Burrow with how bad he's been lately and especially how disappointing he was against that Titans matchup last week. It's a matter of just how many quarterbacks you're starting over him. And that's the subject here. So I'm not talking about the high names. I don't want to hear. I'm starting two over him. I I know that. So we'll skip the high names. Who are some guys that might surprise people that you're starting over Joe Burrow if you have the choice this week? Just with Burrow. I mean, if you look at anything besides how poorly he's produced so far, this actually looks like a a, a decent spot for him. He's off the injury report altogether, which is kind of comical. If you watch him play, he's obviously not healthy. So he probably should be on there with the calf still. Arizona's 30th in pass defense DVOA. They're 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. The Bengals have a 23.75 point implied total, which is ninth highest on the week. Everything looks good for Burrow, but the guy has not finished as a top 20 fantasy quarterback yet this season, and he has likely no T. Higgins this week. For me, guys that you might have on your bench behind Burrow or are available on waiver wires. Jared Goff at home for the Panthers. I'm definitely starting over Joe Burrow. CJ Stroud, who's just been awesome and gets a nice matchup against Atlanta. I'm starting him over Joe Burrow easily. I'm starting Jordan Love over Joe Burrow, who's, you know, Production has been seemingly flimsy, but it's been there, and he gets the Raiders. Sam Howell tonight against the Bears, I would start over Joe Burrow. Brock Purdy in a bad matchup against Dallas, but I'm still starting him over Joe Burrow. And then Matt Stafford against the Eagles. I think it's going to be a pass-heavy game plan from the Rams. So those are the guys uh, I would, you know, in that kind of mid-tier, I would definitely start over Burrow this week. And just to add further context to that Joe Burrow being off the injury report, he was a full participant in every practice last week. So he was on it, but he was listed full, full, full. And then he was far less than full in that performance. I'm going to add another quarterback to it. And it's Josh Dobbs, who I think is not getting enough respect for what he's producing fantasy wise so far. And I include our week five rankings in that. I think Josh Dobbs is too low. He does sit ahead of Joe Burrow. So I managed to get everybody on board with that. But I think he should be even higher. Now, here's what Josh Dobbs is doing so far this year. He has completed 70.7% of his passes. That's seventh best in the league. He's 10th among quarterbacks in passer rating. He's 16th in pro football references success rate. That basically measures a quarterback's ability to get what's needed on each particular play, which of course differs by situation. Not only that, he's done all this and faced Dallas and San Francisco the past two weeks, had QB 16 and QB seven fantasy finishes in those two games, passer ratings over a hundred in each of those two games. The biggest thing working in Dobbs's favor, the reason to not just, you know, brush this stuff off over 40 rushing yards now in three straight weeks, and he is an above average runner. So that's the kind of thing that should stick. He's playing better than Jordan Love so far, Jared, who we have 12th in our rankings. Should we have Josh Dobbs and Jordan Love switched 
in our rankings this week. And if, if not, why not? Yeah, I mean, this is a case where you know, how much do you want to weigh four weeks versus everything we thought about Dobbs and the Cardinals coming into the season? I, I do think the rushing is the biggest thing working in Dobbs favor. You mentioned the rushing yards. He's also he's fifth among quarterbacks in total carries. He's th- he's tied for third among quarterbacks in designed carries. So the Cardinals have made Dobbs's you know athleticism, his his ability to run part of their game plan, which is you know nice going forward. I think makes that rushing ability easier to count on matchups fine against the Bengals. The Bengals are actually 27th in adjusted points. A lot of quarterbacks so far, they're 19th in pass defense DVOA. I, I do still look at the implied totals and Arizona is still at just 20.75 points, which is like three to four points higher than, than they were kind of being projected for early in the season. So Vegas has adjusted a little bit, but you know, 20.75 is still not an, an exciting number. So man, if it, if it was my team and I'm deciding between Burrow and Dobbs, I'm going to stick with, with Burrow there. I'm playing Dobbs and I'm doing it comfortably. And you talk about what we don't know or what we um, are weighing. I know that he hasn't played at all before this year. He had two starts in Tennessee last year. Otherwise hasn't started was a fourth round pick of the Steelers back in 2017. So I'm not saying Josh Dobbs is now an NFL stud, but we also don't know a whole lot about Sam Howell yet. We don't know a whole lot about Jordan Love, who sat for three years. I know it was behind Aaron Rodgers, but we're just getting our first looks at Jordan Love. What we do have in Josh Dobbs is a guy who has been around the league for a bunch of years, who is already smart. He's a rocket scientist to begin with. We That was you know famously known about him as he was drafted. And we know that the Cardinals traded for him this preseason, obviously with the intent to start him while Kyler Murray is out. We didn't know that that was the intent for sure at the time, but since then it's become clear that they traded for him so they could start him over Clayton Toon, over Colt McCoy, and he's delivering on it. Now, I don't think that he finishes the season as Geno Smith, but that's at least some precedent for a guy coming relatively out of nowhere or rebounding from disappointment and giving us some quality play, being a veteran in the league, perhaps learning as much as he needs to, to be able to leverage what he does have. So I'm going to use the four weeks of what we've seen from him, especially the last two where he did it against tougher defenses. And I'm going to go ahead and use Josh Dobbs this week. And if I'm wrong there, then it's not based on nothing. It's just, you know, it didn't work. Maybe I'm giving the, the Vegas lines too much credit, but you just look at you know some of these guys we're comparing Dobbs against. Burroughs, Bengals imply for 23.75 points. Jordan loves Packers, 23 points against the Raiders. Sam Howell's commanders, 25.25 points tonight against the Bears. It's that, that stuff, just the general offenses that that makes me lean towards those other guys over Dobbs still. Yeah. And I would say for me, it would make me temper my, I I don't know if excitement's the word, but temper my favor for Dobbs a little bit, because, you know, if we just take what he did the past few weeks and what he's done production wise so far, he was QB seven fantasy against San Francisco last week. So now we put him against Cincinnati that should make him a top 10 guy. If we forget everything else. So I would say I'm not that high, maybe QB 15, I think is fair, but you know, we certainly take all that into account. It's worth looking at those numbers to at least kind of give you another data point to decide whether you're like, I think Vegas is wrong on this one, or I think I need to alter my outlook for this one. For sure. If you want to know who to put in your specific lineup, then your team Intel page is going to be the best place to see exactly who we would start in your situation. It includes our baseline projections. It factors in projected upside, and it looks at the scoring specifics of your league, the lineup specifics of your league. It is synced to your team. So it knows what you need better than we do. If you ask me who you should put in your starting lineup, 
I'm probably going to give you a similar answer to what the site is already giving you. I might give you the wrong one because I might not be figuring in the upside or the projection, or I might be adding my own bias because I've been swayed by Josh Dobbs the past two weeks. So see what the site says. It's all of us feeding into it. It's got lots of stuff at play to generate those starting lineup recommendations for you. Jared, we're going to move to running back now. And regression is something I think as we get a little further into the season, we start to look at guys who might be higher in the fantasy rankings than they should be based on what they're getting so far, guys who are lower than they should be. So let's start looking at that with running backs. Who is bound for some negative regression at running back? Somebody who has produced a lot so far and just there's a reason to worry about it going forward. So I think if you're if you're talking negative regression candidates, you have to at least mention the Dolphins running backs. So if, if you look at actual fantasy points versus expected fantasy points, Devin Achan and Raheem Oster are like blowing the field away in terms of, you know, outproducing their usage so far. Now that, that to me doesn't make them sells because I just think they're two explosive players in an explosive offense. I, I think we've talked about it. it, it, it Miami's like the team this year. I think you just kind of want pieces of that offense. Achan and Mostert are probably headed, you know, for a bit less production going forward, but I still think they're um, holds in fantasy. I wanted to mention uh, James Connor here, who surprisingly has been producing on efficiency so far. Where you know, heading into this season and even the past few seasons, he's been a he's been a volume guy. He's averaging five point one yards per carry which would be a career high by 0.6 yards for, for James Conner. The volume, though, has kind of been underwhelming. 57% carry share for James Conner, which is okay. He has just an 8% target share so far this season. And really, especially the last three weeks, he's been losing passing down snaps to first Keontae Ingram and then more recently Amari DiMercato, um, which sounds kind of crazy to say. But um, Conner's been losing the passing down snaps that we really, you know, wanted him to be getting to, you know, kind of maintain that that fantasy floor. So Conner's a guy, you know, I don't know how much interest there's going to be because he's James Conner and he's still playing for the Cardinals. But um, he could be a guy who you might look into to selling right now because of the fact that he's losing those passing snaps. Conner, for me, is a guy that I'm holding because I don't think you're getting a whole lot and because he's producing almost right at expected level. So I think that the usage will change. I don't think that they're going to keep giving that stuff to other running backs the rest of the way. I think that's just a blip because, you know, we look at who's competing. There's no, there's nothing about those other two running backs that says we should be taking these opportunities away from James Conner and giving it to them. And we also should get the starting quarterback back in that offense before too long. So you know, if somebody in your league is hot for James Conner, sure, I'm fine with trading him. But otherwise, I'm just going to keep him and, and take the production however he's getting to it. I think Raheem Mostert is a little bit more of a sell. I agree that we want pieces in Miami, and I'm not just getting rid of him for the sake of getting rid of him. But you mentioned the production versus expected with both Mostert and Achan, who I'm going to say in every show just to practice the pronunciation of the last name now. They're still going to get Jeff Wilson Jr. back at some point. There's going to be numbers going around, but it's going to get frustrating figuring out who's doing that scoring every week. So if we just compare for now, Mostert versus HN, Mostert has this long history of giving us flashes of production without sustaining it. He also has the injury history. So to me, he's a little bit more of a sell than HN, who we don't know about yet. We've seen him for a couple of games now. We're still learning exactly what Miami's going to do with him and how he's going to produce on it. So I would rather wait on him and see what happens. I'm willing to move Mostert. It's got to be for a good return. Again, it's not a fire sale kind of thing, but I think that Mostert makes for a solid sell candidate. 
On the other side, who do you think is bound for positive regression in the backfield? I wanted to bring up Bijan Robinson just real quick, and I wrote about him in my top 10 uh, usage takeaways article for the week. I mean, Bijan's sitting RB6 in PPR points right now. It's like you're obviously not going to buy him for cheap. I might be willing to, you know, like buy high on Bijan, though, because he hasn't scored a touchdown yet. And I know they've been using Tyler Algier near the goal line. Uh, you know, Bijan has just one carry inside the five to three for Algier. We'll see if that continues. But like, Bijan's good enough. He, he's he's going to score touchdowns, right? Even if they have to come from, you know, 10 yards, 20 yards out, he's going to score touchdowns. Everything else about the usage has been awesome. His carry share has climbed every week so far at this season. He was up to 64% of Atlanta's carries last week. And the passing game role has just been unbelievable. He has an 18.5% target share, a 72% route rate. Those are both third among all running backs. I think Bajan has a chance to, to finish RB2 this season behind only McCaffrey. So like throw an offer for, for Bijan to the, the owner in your league and just see if he's, you know, attainable at this point. Cause again, I do think he's going to produce even better than he has so far based on this usage. And to your point about scoring from distance, he doesn't have any rushing touchdowns, but he does have the one receiving touchdown back in week one where he had no business scoring other than he just went around and through the few defenders, the several defenders that were between him and the goal line. And every game you watch, even if you just watch the highlights, you see some spot where it's like, how did he even transport from that one spot <laughs> to the other and leave the guy who was right in front of him grasping at air? So, yeah, it's it's easy to bet on Bijan Robinson. I'm going to also throw out Damian Pierce, who you'll find in our trade targets article this week. He's 18th in expected PPR points so far at running back. He's tied for 32nd in actual PPR points. The offense on hole in Houston is performing better than we could have guessed heading into the season, led by that passing game. And the O-line has been really banged up. It can only get healthier from here. We'll get some higher end players back from injury. That's bound to help the running game. And, you know, just offensive success is bound to make it a good situation, even if the O-line and Pierce aren't able to completely maximize his scoring potential. I think upside is coming pretty soon based on what he has been and gotten so far. Yeah, I mean, the, the Texans are good. That's the big thing with Pierce. Like that was the argument against him, at least for me heading into the season, because he's still not, he still doesn't have a great role in the passing game, which I think is the biggest knock against him. But again, the Texans are a good team. They're not going to be playing from way behind all season. The offense looks good. And Pierce, he only has one TD so far, but he is tied for 11th and carries inside the five yard line. So he is getting most of that work and touchdowns are going to start to come for him. He's more of a buy, I would say, in non PPR or half PPR, but certainly can fit in PPR as well. You don't want to pay too much for him, but there's upside beyond what he has shown so far. If you want to have some other buy or sell targets pointed out, for your team, we've got our weekly trade targets article up on DraftSharks.com now with, like I said, buy, sell, hold players and that huge chart that Alex puts together for us every week. So check that out. See what the values are. See how we value players versus the market. Look for guys that you can target to either buy or sell in your league. Jared, let's look at some sample trades from the DraftSharks Discord. And I focused on Devon Achan here because I think he's an interesting prospect now. Somebody that's scary to trade, but if you have a lot at running back and not a lot at wide receiver, maybe he is somebody to move because you could get something on the higher end. And I'm going to start with that because I had somebody say that they've had proposed to them, Devon Achan and Zay Flowers for A.J. Brown. It's another team in their league looking to give A.J. Brown to get A.J. and Zay Flowers. It's half PPR scoring. Which side are you taking in that one? I would lean the HN Zay Flowers side. Um, wow. And it, these always depend on how strong you are at running back. Like if this guy has, you know, three other running backs that um, 
are reliable week to week, I'd be okay making that move. But my, my thing with Achan that I love about what we've seen the past two weeks is he has 10 of Miami's 12 running back opportunities inside the 10 yard line. So when the Dolphins have been getting into scoring position, it's been Achan out there getting the ball, not Raheem Mostert. And again, with the amount of points this Dolphins offense is, is gonna, has scored and is going to score, I just think that could mean a, a ton of touchdowns for Achan, who of course can score from distance as well. But I think he's going to score a lot of those, you know, t- touchdowns from inside the 10 if this usage continues. I have trouble imagining that he's the goal line back, but it's nice that they are willing to use him in that range. I think we'll see more of these Miami running backs just being interchangeable by a spot on the field, but it's certainly yep. it's encouraging that he is able to score from that range. I'd take AJ Brown here, you know, assuming that I, that that doesn't leave me thin at running back, assuming that that upgrades my wide receiver group. I mean, AJ Brown's a top five, top six, at least wide receiver for half PPR. So I like condensing that into the higher end performer trading guys that are solid. And, you know, we'll see about HN. Like I said, we're still learning, but I'd just rather bet on AJ Brown going forward. I know the answer to this one, but Devon HN for Christian Kirk, it's like, no, oh, yeah. slap that one away. <laughs> All right. If we were redrafting right now, what round would you take HN in? I would probably wind up watching somebody take him before I got to him, honestly, because I would be I'd be hesitant to take him where people were valuing him. And if we drafted right now, he's probably not getting out of round three and I'm not ready to take him. Oh, yeah. I think round three is where he belongs. I can see that. I would probably I'd be the guy that's like I might regret not taking him, but I'm going to go ahead and start with three wide receivers while you guys are chasing the running backs. Like while, while Kyron Williams and Devon Achan are going off the board, I'm taking AJ Brown at the end of round three. And then, you know, just hoping that I prove to be a genius. The last trade here is only mildly involves Devon Achan. Pukunakua on one side. Let's assume in this case that you're good at receiver and you could use a running back. So you've got Pukunakua. Would you trade him for any one among Ramondre Stevenson, Isaiah Pacheco, or Devon Achan, or any of those guys, players that you would take in exchange for Puka? I would trade Puka for Achan. Definitely not Stevenson. Pacheco's closer, but I wouldn't do it for Pacheco. It would just be Achan for me. And that's, I am assuming Cup is going to be back either this week or next. And then he's, you know, going to stay relatively healthy the rest of the season. That's, that's kind of the bet you're making. Because if that's not the case, then you're, you're obviously, you know, not, not making that trade. I'd be a little wary of moving Puka. I think if I have Puka Nakua and Cooper Cup on my roster, I would be a little bit more willing to move move either of them because I'm probably not going to want to start both of them every week going forward, but I'm not just giving up Puka for whatever, because I think it's definitely possible that he and Cooper cup are just Cooper cup and Robert Woods from a few years ago going forward. That's the way that they've been using Puka so far. I I have a hard time imagining that they're going to go from league leader and targets to what's your name. just because Cooper cups back on the field. I I also, I want to get back to the point on Stevenson. He's somebody for me that, you know, if you look at what he's done so far, you look at Zeke Elliott not passing him, and you look at what he did last year, he might seem like a buy low. I don't believe enough in the player or the offense to really turn him into something, I don't know, truly helpful this year. So he's not somebody that I'm interested in buying at all right now. Yeah, that's the disappointing thing for me with Stevenson right now is he's just not playing well but you know, he, he was awesome last year. You look at really rushing efficiency stuff or receiving efficiency. He, he was awesome in both departments. Um, the usage has still been fine this year, really. I mean, he's, he's sitting on a, a 10% target share. He's gotten 60% of the running back carries, which are you know good 
marks kind of around what we expected, maybe a bit lower on the target share, but he just hasn't been efficient with the work and the Patriots offense obviously hasn't looked good so far. So Stevens is just a hold for me. I wouldn't sell low because again, the work has still been there, um, but I'm not super confident in a bounce back. And I'd be willing to sell if somebody else is betting on a bounce back from him. But yeah, I agree. You're probably holding if you already have him. Let's move to something more positive, And that's Brees Hall, who we just got word from Robert Sala. There's no pitch count anymore, which is kind of still a funny thing that they apply to <laughs> football. But what are you doing with Brees Hall now? Are you trying to buy hard right now before this Denver matchup? Oh, I think you probably missed the buy window after, you know, the, the Sala quote went viral. Unless the, you know, Hall owner in your league hasn't heard that yet. I, I would guess he's going to be probably too expensive to acquire. Um, I am definitely excited about him, at least for this week, and largely because of the matchup. It's kind of, you know, a perfect storm. Just if the Jets are ready to unleash him against Denver, like I think Hall is definitely someone you, 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 you want to lean towards starting this week. Assuming you have no larger need at running back or wide receiver, would you trade Puka Nakua straight up for Brees Hall? No, I think I'd still rather have Puka rest of the way. I just, I still don't believe in that Jets offense. And you know, and when the matchups are tougher, they're going to be playing from behind. Well, you know, we'll see exactly how big a role the Jets are ready to give Brees Hall. I do still think like Dalvin Cook's going to be involved to an extent. You're not going to be getting you know 20 plus opportunities per game out of Brees Hall. So I, I would still rather have uh, Puka rest of season. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I think even if Brees Hall is back to full health, it's it's a little bit more of a stretch beyond that to expect, you know, maximum explosiveness where he is creating huge games, even if the situation remains negative. So I agree. I'm buying this week. I'm going to try to buy this week if it's too expensive and I missed out. Oh, well, but I do think that there's a chance there's still a little bit of a buy window left. You might just have to pay a little bit more. If you do, I would do it before this Denver matchup. They're adding 111.3% scoring to running back so far. A lot of that was the Dolphins, of course, but they just allowed 122 total yards and a touchdown to Khalil Herbert. Week two, they allowed 129 total yards and two touchdowns to Brian Robinson. So it's not all the Dolphins running backs. What about the other Jets in this matchup with Denver? Yeah, I mean, I think Garrett Wilson is a, he's probably a must start. He's like right around low end wide receiver one range in our rankings this week. He, Wilson has a 30 and a half percent target share from Zach Wilson over the last three weeks. So he's been getting the targets, you know, they've, they've been inefficient, but if Wilson can kind of roll over the momentum he built uh, in that pretty solid game against the Chiefs last week and this matchup against Denver is good. I think Alan Lazard and Tyler Conklin are both, you know, fringe options, especially with bye week starting now, you know, Lazard's, had the playing time, the volume hasn't been awesome, but he's on the field and he gets, he's going to get this Damari Mathis matchup that we talked about a few times this season. I'm assuming Pat Sertan is going to spend most of Sunday's game on Garrett Wilson. Damari Mathis now through four weeks ranks 110th among 111 qualifying corners in both pro football focused coverage grade and passer rating allowed in coverage. So he, he's been, you know, one of the worst cornerbacks in the league so far. And then Tyler Conklin, he has 17 targets from Zach Wilson over the last three weeks. That's a 16 and a half percent target share. And Denver's been bad against tight ends too. They've been bad against every position. Use those guys. If you need to, I'd love to not have to use anybody besides <laughs> Reese Hall and Garrett Wilson, but if you need them, it's a solid spot for him. On the other side, assuming we don't have Javante Williams on the field, that's a backfield I'm trying to avoid, similar to with those fringy Jets guys. But if we can't avoid it, it looks like Jaleel McLaughlin over Samaje Pirine, right? Yeah, that's how I'd lean. And we we obviously don't know what the split is going to look like. It was It was split 
basically down the middle after Williams left last week. Uh, McLaughlin had, had a slight lead in opportunities, but you know, with a full week of practice now and preparing for no Javante Williams, it could look different. Um, I would just lean towards the guy who's who's been better if you're picking between the two, and that's definitely been McLaughlin. The Jets, by the way, they're they're just 13th in run defense DVOA and 18th in adjusted points allowed through running back so far. So at least on paper, it's like a a, a middling matchup for both these RBs. Yeah, and I think the other thing working in McLaughlin's favor is he has the explosive speed, whereas Samaje Piran has Samaje Piran speed. Going to wide receiver, Jared, we talked about regression at running back. How about among the wide receivers now? Who do you think is potentially headed downward? DJ Moore would be a sell for me coming off that game against the Broncos. DJ Moore is now up to 14th among wide receivers in PPR points. He's 45th in expected PPR points, according to Pro Football Focus. Moore has a 79% catch rate and 12.5 yards per target, both easily career highs. DJ Moore is good. I do not expect him to maintain this level of efficiency with Justin Fields as his quarterback. The last thing I will say about DJ Moore and why to me, he'd be a sell high and not just a sell for whatever, because they do have a nice schedule coming up. You know, Washington tonight is doable. Then it's Minnesota, Las Vegas and the Chargers the next three weeks, which are all positive matchups. So Moore could go on a little bit of a run here. You could definitely hold him, you know, through three or four of these of these next games and then try to sell him after that. But if you can get high-end wide receiver two value for him right now, which is, you know, how he's produced, at least in, in terms of PPR points, I'd be willing to, to trade him for that type of value. Hey, the Panthers are in the market for a number one wide receiver, allegedly. <laughs> so maybe they can make a move for DJ Moore. I have a similar guy here in a much better situation. Brandon Ayuk, he's wide receiver nine in PPR. He's tied for wide receiver 29 in expected PPR points. You know, if you drafted him, you're like, sweet, I got a stud. I thought I was getting a good player. He's picking up huge numbers. He plays for San Francisco. I'm golden. But He's working on an 85% catch rate so far, 18.8 yards per catch. Like that would have led last year's league by, I believe, seven-tenths of a yard over Jalen Waddell, and there were three wide receivers that were over 17 yards per catch. So both of those numbers are definitely coming down. His two big games have each come on 100% catch rates. That's just not going to happen. He's not going to have the kind of TD rate that he has so far. Is he going to be bad? No, of course not. So if you try to trade him and everybody else is like, ah, he's still Brandon Ayuk and he's in a crowded offense, then fine. Keep him and use him yep. for what you get, which is probably going to be better than what you paid for him in the draft. But yep. if you can sell him at a wide receiver one level price, I think it's a good time to do so. Yes, I agree. Wide receiver, one level price, I would sell. I do think he looks like a wide receiver two going forward, especially with Debo's banged up, right? Like he played last week. He actually played his usual allotment of snaps, but did not draw a single target. So you got to believe the um, the knee mostly was the issue. And Ian Rapport said this morning that Debo's still not going to be at 100% for Sunday night game, Sunday night's game against the Cowboys. So, you know, that obviously helps Ayuk. We love to talk about how smart Kyle Shanahan is, but if Debo Samuel is not 100%, why the hell are you putting him on the field for his usual number of snaps and handing him the ball on the ground? Yeah. Why don't you just put him on yeah. the sideline? You clearly don't need him to beat Arizona. Sometimes we give him a little bit too much credit, I think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, the, the, the handoff thing is weird because you kind of say he was just out there as a decoy and maybe it worked because Ayuk had the big game but to, to hand him the ball a few times and you have Christian McCaffrey that seems a bit questionable right, maybe he's just like showing him who's boss like I I'm in charge of you 
On the positive side, who is heading upward from where they've produced so far, Jared, at wide receiver? I would try to buy Chris Olave right now coming off a week four dud. And I would imagine that was almost completely due to Derek Carr's shoulder. You know, when Alvin Kamara has 14 targets, I know Kamara is good in the passing game, but your running back should not have 14 targets. I think Carr just you know, wasn't willing or, or able to push the ball downfield. And that that's a slight concern going forward. I got to imagine Carr is going to progress though, you know, over the next couple of weeks and probably get back to hundred percent. If he doesn't, the saints do have Jameis Winston, who I think is a quarterback that can definitely support Chris Olave. And remember Olave had a hundred 12, 86, and then 104 receiving yards in the first three games of the season. He had 32 targets over those three games for a 31% target share. He j- he hasn't scored a touchdown yet, which you know might have his his owners a bit underwhelmed by his performance so far. But really, everything else has been there outside of last week. So I, I think um, Olave still looks like a you know lower end wide receiver one to me, and I think you could probably buy him for cheaper than that. Yeah, even with one catch for four yards last week, he's still 13th among all wideouts in receiving yards. That's the the guy I have down to. I think it's kind of funny how much the Saints seem to not want to actually play Jameis Winston. Like, they want to have him around. But they're like, uh, we'd rather play Andy Dalton yeah. for uh, 10 games than you. And we'd rather go ahead and put Derek Carr out and throw left-handed passes, I think, to a running back this week. <laughs> Yeah, sad. Darren Waller, speaking of sad, he is not giving us what we need from him so far. Tied for ninth in targets among tight ends, tied for 11th in receptions, one catch behind David and Joku through four weeks. Jared, what should we do here? Can we hope for a rebound from Darren Waller? Or is it just like, I don't know, we were wrong? Yeah, I think we were probably wrong, at least to the extent to which we, you know, pushed him up rankings in ADP. And, th- and that makes me mad because I was off Waller early in the offseason because I looked at his, you know, 2022 and he really just wasn't great looking at, you know, target share or yards per outrun, any of that stuff. And he, he's 31 now. So he's just probably a declining player. He's had, had a bunch of injuries. He's already dealt with the hamstring this year. And, you know, just watching him play, I don't see him getting open a whole lot. There's a lot of issues with the Giants, the offensive line being the biggest one. But I, I haven't seen Waller getting open a ton. So I'm, I'm disappointed. I kind of fell for the August hype. Now as for what to do with them, like what can you do with them? There's just, there's no good tight end. So if you have them, you probably have to keep starting him. I will say the usage has still been high end for Darren Waller as far, far as the routes. He did see just 10% of the giants targets in that Monday night loss to Seattle, but Waller had seen 18, 21, and 22% target shares over the first three games of the season. So like the usage has, has still been there. I think in most cases you just have to keep running them out there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he's a hold. You're not going to sell him for anything. I don't think he's a buy low because I don't think that the situation is capable of supporting as much upside as we hoped there might be with Darren Waller here. I don't think that there's a possibility he finishes among the top four unless there is a horrible accident that includes, you know, eight other tight ends this year. The one thing that's out of his control that presents some rebound potential. The Giants cannot be as bad offensively as they have been through the first four weeks. They they gave extraordinarily bad efforts against the Cowboys in week one, against Seattle on Monday night. They had also a game with San Francisco mixed in in week three. So they've had some tough matchups. They've had as bad of performances as you possibly can on primetime. I hope that they're not on any more primetime games. I haven't checked their schedule. They see. are. They <laughs> are. <laughs> so we, I guess we just sit every time they're playing at night. But I I mean, really, even if this team is just much worse than predicted this season, they can't be as bad as they were in those two games. So that's bound to help Darren Waller a bit. He's still an easier target than the stuff that the Giants throw out there at wide receiver. So I think he'll be 
decent going forward, but probably not the helper that we hoped he might be. Yeah, for sure. I agree. He can still be like a low end tight end one, but he's, he's not going to separate at the position, which is, you know, what you drafted him to do. Closing it out with streaming defenses. Of course, if you check the rankings when they first come out, then you might already be on teams like Detroit, Washington, Miami. Those are our top three defenses for week five. They're all likely rostered in your league by now. Jared, do you have any other streaming options for this week? Yeah, it's a good week for streaming Ds. And just a quick note on those three you mentioned, who I do think are the top three options this week. They all have usable matchups next week as well. Detroit gets Tampa. Uh, Washington gets Atlanta and Miami probably has the best matchup next week against Carolina who, you know, Detroit has this week and that's where they're sitting first in our ranking. So both, all three of those D's um, are worth grabbing both for this week and next week. And Detroit, while you're talking about it, like the lions probably were available this week more than they should have been just based on all of us having some bias against them from recent seasons. They've been good so far, fifth in total defensive DVOA ninth in ESPN scoring so far. Yeah, exactly. And you, uh, you watch them play and they, they look good too. And Carolina is obviously a, a good matchup for them. So um, outside of those defenses, I guess I'll start with the, with the Colts, not a great defense, but home for Tennessee. I think if they can jump out to a lead in that, game you know we know Tennessee's O-line is one of the worst in the league and if you can you know force Tannehill to drop back there's upside there I think if you're desperate and I am starting them in at least one league the Bears tonight it's kind of a battle of you know what what matters more a horrible pass rush or a quarterback that's taking sacks at a you know historic rate which is what Sam Howell has done so far I was looking at um some you know Vegas lines this morning and the over under for Bears sacks tonight is is two and a half which is a decent number they the Bears have two sacks all season um, and, you know, the Vegas Lions have them for, you know, over under two and a half tonight. So I think if you're desperate, um, the, the Bears are kind of your last ditch option this week. I would definitely put a desperate level. I've got the Colts down as well. You might think Tennessee looks like a worse matchup after scoring 27 on Cincinnati last week. But even with that factored in, they're still adding about 30 percent to opponent D defense scoring, according to our adjusted fantasy points allowed. For week six, you know, Jared mentioned Miami and Washington have usable matchups, especially next week, Carolina and Atlanta, respectively. Jared, I'm eyeing the Seahawks as one that's likely available at the Bengals right now. That's not one that I would go out and pick up just yet, because if I miss out on them, it's not a big deal. But there's upside. They, of course, just had the huge night against the Giants. And then if Joe Burrow looks this week like he did last week, then he's going to be somebody that we target until he proves otherwise. Yeah, for sure. That could make sense. Um, the Vikings are the team that's get, that gets the Bears matchup next week. Obviously, the Vikings will very likely be available in your league right now because they get the Chiefs this week. So that's a case where you know, if you have room to stash um, two defenses, I think the Vikings make sense. You can find the week six rankings on DraftSharks.com right now. If you want to get ahead at defense or any other position, you can check those in the free agent finder, see who's available in your league, who you might want to pick up before your league mates are even looking at them. You can, of course, also find the week five rankings as well. We will keep updating those as needed as we get more news on Jonathan Taylor, Cooper Cup, and everybody else. And there's lots more fresh week five content on DraftSharks.com. Jared's Matchups That Matter article is up. I posted my top plays for underdog pickums this morning. Herms has dynasty trade targets as well as an intro to next year's class of rookies. Kevin's got your dynasty risers and fallers from the past week in our dynasty rankings. Much more beyond that. So make sure you check it out on DraftSharks.com. And if you're not a DS insider, then you're missing out on the team Intel tool that I mentioned earlier, the free agent finder, the trade navigator, which helps you find a trade partner in your league and then helps you build the perfect trade package to help your team. 
lots more behind the curtain if you become a DS insider. So do that today. If you haven't done so already, we're just waiting here to try to help you win your season. 